The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. <laughs> We've been laughing here, but my guest today on the Women in Media podcast is Steph Purificati. Did I say your last name right? Do I have that right? Yes. Uh, we've been trying to do this for a while. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm pumped to talk to you. Thank you. I'm so happy we could finally get this together. Everything's just been so crazy busy and we're here. We're doing it. We're chatting. I hope I'm worth the wait. So you started your career as the in-house talent buyer at the Drake Hotel. The Drake, I'm sure anyone listening in Toronto would know. Yes. You're an agent at Feldman. This is new. And uh, you came from APA. You helped open the APA office in Toronto, if I remember correctly. That's correct. Yeah. How many years at APA? Um, well, I mean, it's more like how many years with the team that I was with because we went through a couple of incarnations. So basically, I've been working in the agency side of things for 15 years. I started at the agency group as an assistant, and then I got promoted to agent and then in the agency group was bought by United Talent Agency, and then United Talent Agency shut down the Toronto office. So a bunch of us sort of branched off and, and opened the APA office in Canada, did that for about five and a half years. And then I decided to make a big move and go work at another agency. Which we will get to, which we will get, <laughs> we will get to. That. <laughs> what came before the Drake and being a talent buyer? Like, how did you find yourself in this business? Oh my God. Um, I was in high school. I grew up in Timmins, Ontario, small town, Northern Ontario, in a pre-internet era. <laughs> oh boy. I covered my grades real well. No one knows how old I really am. My high school best friend, her name is Lori, her older brother was the local promoter in town. And he was, and this is like in the nineties, he was bringing all of like the cool bands, all the cool punk bands to Toronto. And Lori and I were just like, 14 years old and thought it was the coolest thing. And he sort of like got us to come and work shows for him, like do the doors, sell merch and like help with like basic roadie stuff. And, and of course, whatever shows where we weren't working, we were always going to shows, right? Yeah. Lori and I, and um, it just sort of instilled this like passion for live music in me. Oh, yeah. But I didn't know at the time that like I didn't quite understand that you could have a career in music like I didn't understand what Jamie did that was my Lori's brother I didn't understand what he did I was just like oh he brings these cool bands to town and like I get to hang out in bars at when I'm 15 years old this is great so I went to York University and I got a degree in linguistics not I what speak- I was expecting you to say because no. <laughs> <laughs> I speak three languages and I was like well I guess I should go into linguistics we, we all think something that we're good at we should go into like early on and then you're like wait this is not for me Well, I was like, okay, I'm going to like either become a speech therapist or like go study some like Amazonian language that no one's ever heard. And I was like, none of these are really appealing to me. But um, in my last year of of university at York, a friend of mine from back home from Timmins uh, told me about this school in Toronto called the Harris Institute for the Arts, which is one of the leading uh, music industry schools in Canada and one of the best in the world. And he was like, you should do this. He's like, you love shows. And all through university, I was like helping bands. I would like go to shows and just be like, do you need someone to sell your merch? And like, I had a job at a print shop on the university campus. And I was like staying late to like print liner notes for my friends, CDs and just like doing all this stuff. And, and my friend Jason was like, you would, you love this. You love live music. You love music in general. So he's like, you know, you should look into this school. And I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? So I looked into it and I also had to like pitch it to my parents to like pay for one more year of school. 
And what I wanted to do at the time was like, I wanted to be a tour manager because I thought that would be fun. And as I'm like pitching this to my dad, he was like, so you want us to pay for like another year of schooling so you can learn how to babysit grown men? And I was like, yeah, yeah, dad, <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. Um, so they agreed. Um, and I went to Harris. I did that program. It's a year long program. Uh, I'm actually a teacher there now, hilariously enough. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, totally. So uh, I did that. And then out of Harris, I got my first internship. And it was with this guy, Jeff Rogers, who I'm still friends with to this day. He at the time was managing the winner of season one of Canadian Idol. Ryan Malcolm. I got an internship with his management company and he he put me on the road with Ryan. He was like, go tour manage. And I was like, going to like gigs in Sudbury thinking it was the height of glamour. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I've made it. I got a free trip to Sudbury. And the next time you went through Timmins, Ontario hometown, you were like, I got this. I'm like, listen, your girl, she's made it. Look at me. that's awesome I was like fresh out of school I kind of had no idea what I was doing and then so that lasted for a period of time and then um the relationship between Jeff and 19 Entertainment who owns all of the idol franchises that ended and then I was like shit like I guess I'm gonna go sell jeans at the Gap now because I had no I had no other options. I had a denim phase too, American Eagle. I understand. Girl, yes, yes. I can still walk around a Gap store and be like, no, you need to put these on. (laughs) Um, So this was when the Drake was first being renovated and redone uh, in like early, I think like 2002 or 2003, I think. And Jeff, when they when they opened, Jeff was hired as one of the first in-house bookers, and he was like, I need someone to like run my shows. So he's like, I need you to hire this Stephanie girl. I'm like, okay. Like I didn't, I had no idea. Like aside from like working the shows in Timmins, like I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Like I was like sort of figuring out as as I went along and uh, I had, I'm not kidding you. I had about eight interviews with different people at the hotel. I had a meeting with the owner. I like lied my way through the job interview and they hired me as the production coordinator. So, so for like nine months, I did that as Jeff's like sort of like production coordinator assistant. And then he just left after me being there for like nine months. And then they were like, okay, Steph, you can be the music booker at the Drake. And I was like, okay. And now you're really like, oh, I got to figure something out here. Uh, well, I, by that point, I had sort of figured it out. I'd made some relationships. I made connections with the promoters and it was still, I mean, the super cool, like broken social scene stars, like Feist, everyone sort of like was creeping in through the Drake, right? Like doing shows there, Bedouin Sound Clash, like all those early, amazing Canadian bands from like the early 2000s. And I saw this space as people throw this ter- this incubator term around, which I think is like sort of done, but, but I was trying to use the Drake as like a gathering place to cultivate like the local Toronto scene of like small bands that needed to get a start somewhere. So I was programming like Spiral Beach and Five Blank Pages and The Ghost is Dancing. And I don't know if any of these names mean anything, but they're like legendary early 2000s Toronto indie rock bands. And there will be people for sure who know these bands. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get like, oh my God, Five Blank Pages, Spiral Beach, holy shit. But what that did, what I was able to do, because it was also still the hot new room, I was getting like major agencies and all the promoters wanted to do shows there. I was developing relationships with the major labels in town. 
So I was really developing my network that way. And my goal was to like, you know, show people a good time. And we had a pretty unlimited hospitality budget because no one was keeping track of anything we were doing back then. Perfect. Like I would, I would be racking up like hundreds of dollars of bar bills at the bar every night, just like buying drinks for people comping dinners for people like it was wild they've tightened those things up a little bit lately they, but well there's an hr person there now which they didn't have drink? yes ma'am oh i wouldn't have even known that crazy yeah and it was like could have probably used it back when i was there because it was like definitely the best of times and it was the worst of times yeah all of the people working in the creative department we were sort of like young people who were just figuring shit out and given a whole big laneway to do a bunch of cool shit And we were really taking advantage of that. And like, there was a moment in time at the Drake when we were all working there and it wasn't the healthiest environment in the creative department. It was very toxic, um, just like divisions between like the two classes of people. And I don't mean like social classes, but like there's like two groups of people in the creative department. And it just, it got really confrontational and really toxic and it was really bad for me. So I did that for like two years. I'm so proud of the work that we did back then. Like it was, we did the craziest shit. Like I remember peaches, we had peaches, I think it was for a TIFF party and we threw a venue wide live like concert where she was traveling. She started in one of the hotel rooms and we had like a live video person following her around through all of these things. And it was being live cast on all the screens on all the venues. So we started in the hotel room and it was like party in the hotel room. And she's like, oh my God, I got to get to the show. Came out onto the sky yard, the rooftop patio where she did a couple of songs. And then we, she went down to the lounge, did a, did a couple songs, like she did hanky code. And it was just like, people lost their ever loving minds and then finished with like a full concert downstairs. And like to this day, one of the most legendary things I've ever done. There's a whole other long story I could get into about booking a Beck show at the Drake Hotel <laughs> on an hour's notice. Oh my god! <laughs> like legit, You've like done I yeah. did. We did everything, so it was it was so much fun, but it was also such a toxic culture. And when you work in a bar, anyone who's worked in a bar or restaurant knows, like you're just drinking everything and eating everything. It's not healthy. I was working really late hours and like having to be back in the office in the morning because that's like there's still work you know, to do during the day. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I still have to be my computer at 11 o'clock in the morning. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm in bed at three, I still have to be up in the morning. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. And then I got a call from a friend of mine who worked at the agency group, who was like looking for an assistant. My friend, Nicole Rochefort, who uh, her boyfriend at the time, Darcy Gregoire was an agent at the agency group. And so she connected me with him because he needed an assistant. And she was like, look, like, you know, this is probably like below what you want to do. But like, I think you'd be really good at it. And I think there's like a lot of room for growth. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like I see this as a lateral move, like sort of hit the ceiling of what I could do at the Drake booking 150 cap room. So I took the interview and we got along great, but artistically, like his roster just wasn't the right fit for me. But then I got a call from Darcy saying like, you know, I don't think this is going to be the right fit, but um, this other person had just handed in her resignation and she was the EA for the uh, senior vice president, Jack Ross. So I started with Jack in like, like the start of 2007 and I was his assistant for five years. And then 
became an agent and blah, 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 blah. So. Okay. We got to back it up. Sorry. No, no, no. I love it. I love it. The note about the workplace and knowing when something's toxic and you need to remove yourself. You talked about one of the coolest things you did, but obviously there were some big lessons learned at the Drake. What would you say those are now looking back? Ooh. Um, I mean, the biggest lessons I learned at the Drake were like a lot of like positive stuff, like how to react on your feet really quickly because things can just change like that. Like booking a back show? Yeah. Like literally like, oh my God, if we have time, I will tell you that story. It's bananas. Okay. You know, how to think on your feet, how to act really quickly, how to trust your instincts and also like how to treat artists. That was like one of the big things for me is making sure that they, even though it was a small room, we didn't have a green room. It was like super like bunk at times, but like, I wanted to make sure that every artist that came through that door had a really good time and felt really looked after. Wanted to come back. And yeah. And wanted to come back because at the end of the day, it's like word of mouth, right? I learned how to really like develop really deep relationships with people in the industry. Sorry, like my cats are attacking each other. Be that person who everyone like wants to be around that sounds really braggy, but like, you know, it's like, I pride myself on being like a a good hang. You're also a connector too. Like, you know how to connect all the points to make sure everyone in the room is taken care of from artists all the way through to what you see, you know, in the audience that night. That's totally it. And that's like followed through. Like I'm, I love, like one of the things I love doing now is like finding jobs for people. Like when I hear like a job that's coming up, I'm like, Oh, I know the person for this, blah, blah, blah. Um, another thing I learned was also because of the like toxicity that was in that environment, there was a lot of like what's right and what's wrong. And it was the first time in my life that I had been faced with like really blatant, like misogyny and really blatant racism. And I was like, and I grew up in like small town, Northern Ontario, like I guess maybe blatant racism. I was, I grew up with that like in Timmins, but you know, it was the first time really being faced with people who are actively trying to like, to take you down, to elevate themselves And I guess like from that, I just learned what you learn what not to do, right? Like how not to treat people. When I was like physically assaulted on the job by one of my coworkers, like knowing that like I would die a thousand deaths if I ever made someone feel that small, how awful that would make me feel. So that was one of the biggest lessons was like just knowing what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes with like early jobs, regardless of the industry, you're, you're saying yes to things because you're like, oh, if I do this today, then tomorrow this opportunity may exist or whatever, right? So yeah. sometimes you find yourself in these positions where maybe the people around you aren't good, the gig's not right, whatever it is, but you obviously navigated out of it, which brings us. <laughs> which brings us to my agent life. Yeah, I think like I saw, you know, just to, to put like a bit of a final point on that, like I, I knew taking the assistant job was like a step down. But I was also like, I was like physically and mentally done at the Drake. I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, And I saw like a path forward at this other place. I was like, okay, like this is a lateral move that's going to allow me to go up. Whereas at the Drake, it was like, okay, like I'm just, I can't just book 150 cap room for the rest of my life. Like that's not going to get me anywhere. Um, So, well, it got me somewhere, but then, you know, you have to, you have to move on to bigger and better things. It's funny hearing about all this Drake stuff now though, because like the legend that I know of the Drake, it sounds like it kind of started with you booking those bands in that room. So that's very cool. That's a full circle, (laughs) right? Thank you. What year did the Drake open? We can look it up. I started in 2005. I think it probably opened in like 2003 or something. 
I've been open for a couple years before I started. 2004. Yeah, 2004. So I would have started right after that. And it was just like, I don't know. I look back on that time as, as tainted as it is by some of the experiences I had. It was, it was a real moment in time. And I was so, I felt really like, like humbled and flattered after I left when the bands that I booked, like these, you know, these bands that I was actively trying to help them create something, you know, they would get in touch with me and be like, man, I just like, don't want to go there anymore. Like, it's not the same since you left. And I'm just like, oh, you guys, and you know, like they've, they've done a lot of great things and it's, you know, it's really maintained this status as like a great showcase room. People still want to play there and it's great. And I think it, it was hard for me to get to a point where I could like take a lot of pride in that. Cause you don't want to, I don't want to feel arrogant or braggy, but it's like, no, I did that. Like yeah. that's, yeah. that's me. Okay. Very cool. So now we're moving into your agent life. Yes. Um, and I will just say too, like we should maybe back it up for one second and say the way that we met. Um, I had no idea who you were until I met you on um, a trip up North to Nunavut for Nunavut music week, Nunavut music week. Yeah, we were part of like a conference and festival, and you know we made a lot of indigenous pals up there. What an experience! We were basically brought up as like panelists and industry industry pros to work with some of the local artists up there and network and all that stuff. And yeah, you had a great energy about you when I first met you right away. But we were like in the snow in April, going like. What is going on? Oh, and it's light out at 3 a.m. <laughs> oh, I know. But like, how much fun was that trip, though? That was very fun. So agent life, you're working as an assistant. So when I was interviewing for the job, Jack asked me, he's like, you know, do you want to be an agent at some point? Did you know? No, God, no. But I knew that I didn't want to be an assistant for the rest of my life. So I was like, well, there's two answers to this question. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I want to be an agent. I didn't want to get stuck being an assistant and like, you know, that for me didn't feel like enough. So I was like, yeah, I want to be an agent with all the confidence I could muster. And he's like, okay, cool. Then we're going to like put you on the agent training track. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Having no clue what that And meant. how old are you at this point? Oh, I was 25 maybe. Oh my God. I would have been shitting my pants. Okay. Continue. <laughs> yeah. No, like legit. But I was like, I got this. Yeah. I did not. I did not got it at all. I was <laughs> This is now the second job interview we've witnessed Steph bullshitting her way through, but successfully. Good. <laughs> if there's anything to take from this podcast, it's like, make it till you make it, kids. Um, yeah. So I was on Jack's desk for five years and he put me through agent training essentially, right? Like basically when you start as an assistant, you know, you can either be on the track to like be a really great assistant and maybe that job has an expiration date for you, or maybe you just go on to be like you know, an EA for the rest of your life, which is great. Like there are some people out there doing, who've been doing it forever and they're fantastic. Or you go on the track where you're like, you know, starting to like sign new bands or like Jack would sign a baby band and be like, okay, you're going to book this tour and you're going to do this on your own. And I'm going to supervise probably took about a year or so of like pure assistant, like learn the systems, learn the lingo, learn the people. Jack started giving me like smaller bands to work on. And, you know, some of them, some of them worked, some of them didn't. I messed up more times than I can count. I messed up some shit real badly. What is a mess up in the agent world? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, okay. So we got this offer. I'll never forget this because this is such a great story. Okay. So we got this offer for a, I'm not going to say what band, but the, a, a band that, um, it was like a Canada day show or something. And they were getting paid way more money than they were worth at the time. And it was like, an immediate confirmation, let's go. 
so Jack was like, Steph, I want you to confirm this and do the contract, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool, no problem. Well, didn't I forget to confirm the show? Like completely forgot to get back. I just didn't get back to the buyer. So the day before I get a call from the band's, from the band's manager, like manager's assistant. And he was like, hey, like, do you have a contract for this gig? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, one sec, let me find it. And I go and I'm like, oh, I'm like, hmm, I can't find it anywhere. And like, like the, the fucking, the seed of dread is like building up in my stomach. And I'm like, let me go, let me see if I can find it. I'm like, I'll, I'll email it to you right away. And I go through my emails and I'm just like, holy shit. I'm like, I did not confirm this offer. So I called the buyer. I'm like, hi, whatever your name is. Um, So like, this offer for this band, like I haven't sent you the contract, but like, I'm going to send it right now. And he was like, Oh, I never heard back from you. We moved on. And I was like, okay. So I immediately recognized like the weight of my mess up. And I just literally like started, I broke down at my desk oh, and yeah. I was like shaking. Cause like, you don't like that much money for a band. It's like a lot. Right. Yes. And I genuinely was like devastated. And I went into Jack's office and I was like, <laughs> like ugly crying, like, told him what happened. And he was like, okay, well, you know, normally I would take the hit for you on this because you're my assistant and like, I'm supposed to be supervising, but he's like, yeah, you really messed this up real, real good. So he's like, I'm going to need you to call the manager yourself and explain what happened. And I was like, <laughs> like <laughs> I was so distraught. Then I called the manager and he was like, hello. And I was like, hi. And then I just like waterworks, like hysterical crying. Here's what happened. And sure enough, he was like, okay, well, just don't do it again. I got to go. I got off so easy. What was like one of the most exciting acts or projects that you got to work on early there? Oh my God. Um, there's a couple of, a couple of artists that I got to book at the Drake Hotel and actually watch them become in my next life as the agent or the agent's assistant, watch them become the biggest acts in the country. Like Arkells is a great example. And I love, I love this story so much. So back when I was booking the Drake, there was this band called the ghost is dancing and they were having their CD release party. And they were like, we have this band from Hamilton called Charlemagne that we want to have open for us. And I was like, cool, whatever. Like it's going to sell out. You, they were like the hot Toronto indie band. I'm like, whatever, whoever you want, I don't care. Bring them in. And so they had this band come on stage and there was like really good rock band. I'm like, oh, like these songs are good. I'm like, lead singer needs a haircut, but like, <laughs> you know, they've got something going on here. And they, you know, they came out to me after and they gave me their CDs and they're like, we'd love to come back. And I'm like, yeah, cool. No problem. Blah, blah. And I didn't really book them again after that. But then I got hired at uh, the agency group. And a few months later, Jack signed this band called Arkells, formerly known as Charlemagne. Yeah. So, and I was just like, hold the phone. <laughs> that's a nice full circle. And now, and I mean, that's a relationship that is just really precious to me because I was able to like watch those guys, like literally go from like drawing nobody at the, in the basement of the Drake hotel to being like an arena, like a stadium band for God's sakes. Like they yeah. can sell 25,000 tickets in Hamilton. And that, like that to me, and the like the relationship that I have with them is so precious. Another one is Lights. So I was booking Lights at the Drake. She would come in and play Elvis Mondays, which was like our open mic back when she was like literally just getting started. And she was playing to like me and Jack and her manager and her label guy and the bartender. 
And that's it. Oh my gosh. And she was wearing like the little dresses and the headbands and this, and I was like, oh my God, this, and she was, I'm not kidding. She was maybe like 17 or 18 at the time. And I was like, oh my God. And like Jack had signed her at, at this point. Um, but then I got to go work with her and like develop a relationship with her and her manager, Ashley, who also manages our cows, who is like one of my dearest friends in the whole world, watching those two acts, watching their growth from the situation, like playing at the Drake to nobody to like literally selling out clubs and arenas. And that's been a really special thing. And even though like, I don't work with them anymore because I'm at a different agency, I'm going to have those relationships for the rest of my life. And we went through, like, I remember back before lights had a whole team of people around her. It was like literally her and me and Ash, like doing all the actual work. Right. And the managers and manager and agent would do the big stuff, but it was like the three of us doing all the heavy lifting. This was so much fun. And now, you know, getting to see her like, you know, tour the world and have a baby and be a great mom and really just develop into this incredible multifaceted. Like she was always like hands in so many different pies, but like seeing how far she's come and the artist and the woman that she's become has like, I get it's, I'm getting chills just thinking about it because she's like really, really special to me. So the female relationships along the way are always so special too. But I feel like I kind of came up at the same time as Arkell's in radio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have the big hair, Max has the big hair and <laughs> you know, there's awkward interviewing. And then the next time we see each other, hair's gotten a little bit better. The awkward interview thing is going away, you know, yes. <laughs> and like Canadian music week a few weeks ago. He like hugged me on the street outside of Universal after that little um, gig that they played. Right. And I kind of had a moment where I was like, that's so funny that like 15 years ago, you know, all those relationships you make early on. And that's why it's so important to be like kind and present yourself how you want to be remembered, because all these relationships continue on in this industry. And like and treat people the way you want to be treated. And because there are people who I've worked with who have been sort of the antithesis of that. And it's just like you're like. We don't like the culture that we live in now, like you can't get away with that shit anymore. I know. And the people who are still acting like that and who are still being like shitty, like, you know, I made a I made a decision early on in my agency career where I was like, I can be like a yelly, screamy agent who like is mean to people because I can do that if I need to, but I don't pull it out that often. Or I can be like a kind, respectful person who can is a hard ass when she needs to be and gets the job done. And I chose like I chose that path because I was like I don't want that to be my legacy. Yeah. I don't want to be known as like the bitchy, like, you know, like that's not fun. Especially because you're one of very few women agents. Yeah. Talk to me about that experience, please. Wow. Um, (laughs) It's been a wild ride. I feel really blessed that, you know, for the eight and a half or so years that we were the agency group, well, I guess 10 years, the agency group in UTA with the same core team of agents that we had, I, you know, I was the only female agent at the office and I never got treated differently because of it. Like I was, I was treated as one of the guys I was spoken to as harshly as the guys speak to each other. I was given the same kind of like feedback, you know what I mean? And I was never like, I never felt like tokenized or, um, others, otherized because I was female. They were just like, they're like, Oh, that's stuff. And she does a great job. And that's that. Um, but it was, it was a real, like, I don't know, it was kind of lonely because I never really felt like I had someone who was really understanding my experience, like, specifically. 
And there are women in the agency world in, in the US who have been doing this really successfully. But I was like, you know, being Eminem's agent feels super unattainable <laughs> on a certain level. And it's yeah. like, I didn't really have a lot of female mentors coming up through this industry. I was going to say, did you not tell me at one point that Ralph James was one of your mentors or do I have that? Absolutely. Oh my God. Like Jack, Ralph James, like, no, Ralph, I worked with him for 15 years as well. Right. Like a legend. And he, you know, he taught me a lot of stuff as well. And, you know, Rob Zifferelli, like, you know, he's at Live Nation now and Paul Gourley who passed away 10 years ago, but, you know, was discovered like Bedouin Sound Clash and Tribe Called Red, now the hallucination. Like, I was so fortunate to be able to learn from these guys, like these titans in the industry who were so respectful of me and gave me every opportunity that I could to like shine. And it wasn't easy. On the other side of the wall, I would imagine, like outside of agency, like yeah. the people you were working with, was it, was there times where you didn't feel like you were taken seriously? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like without, without a doubt, there are really like specific examples of things that people, the way I was treated by people and things that were said to me um, that were like, you would literally not say that to a man. And it was like unwarranted things and whatever it like, it is what it is. Like I think people, when, when people are confronted with a career that is maybe not on the up and up as it used to be, and it's on the down and down, your relationship with your agent is kind of the easiest thing to like nuke because we don't have contracts with our clients. Right. Mm. So when something's not going right with an artist, like a lot of times firing your agent is the easiest thing to do to get like a fresh start. Right. Which is necessary. A lot of times, like you sort of need to blow some shit up to like get things going again. I saw a lot of that. I didn't know that you don't have contracts. That's kind of wild. Well, we have like, we like age, we have contracts between the buyers and our artists, but like with me, with my clients, it's a handshake deal for everyone. Wow. Yeah. I find that wild. Well, you know, we like to keep it because it's a really simple relationship. It's like a 10% or a percentage of, of all your live bookings. Yeah. There's no need to make it complicated. And, you know, manager relationships are super complicated by nature. Like, so you need contracts for that. A lot of times label contracts need to be super complicated by nature, but it's like us, it's like a transaction. It's obviously it's more than that, but it's like off we go to the next one kind of thing. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. 
Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people have wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. Well, here we are, a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy. We have a podcast. I know, you're thinking, who doesn't? But ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women, though. Just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors, activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn, Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis, Colin Mockery. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us, Women of Ill Repute. What about like being fired as an agent from your artist? Ooh, that's a whole other level of like emotions. Um, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I've been fired by clients big and small. Um, there was one incident with a client who I had been working with since like the start of her career and really had a ton of success. And she was really like my, my breakthrough artist too, right? Like this was like, oh my God, we're making all this money. And it's just like, the sky's the limit and we're doing this together. And it's like her and I were like so tight and it was almost like I... I had tied my success to her success. And when things are good, they're great. But then as soon as things start not being so good, they're not so great. And, you know, I eventually was fired by her manager and it was so devastating because like I said, I had tied so much of my identity as an agent and my success to what I was doing with her. And then after a couple of days, I was like, hang on a minute. Like, I got to have all the success with her because I'm really good at what I do. Just because she was my first success story has nothing to do with my going back to talking about value, like my value and worth as an agent and how, what, what I'm good at. And now no one ever wants to get fired, but it's like, no one's ever going to hurt me that way anymore. When someone, when you're like hurt so badly and you come back from that and you rise out of it, no one can ever touch it. It was again. the way that it happened is kind of what you're getting at. Like it wasn't a respectful. Yeah, it was, it was done in a very disrespectful way. Like her manager said some pretty disrespectful things to me, but it was also like, Hey, we could have worked through this, you know, like I feel like she was being so misled by her management. And I think because we had established such a high bar of like payment so early on in, in her career. And then it was like, a quiet where do you go from there? Yeah. You know, and, and like I talked about earlier, how your agent relationship is like the easiest thing to do. And it's like, well, I can fire my agent and hope that that changes something. It was all handled really badly, but I came out of that. I was devastated, but I came out of that a much more powerful person. And knowing that my value and my worth like professionally was not tied to a single artist. It was tied to my abilities. Mm. I had to learn a bit of that with my, my serious XM situation as well. You know, yeah. just yeah. like you realize very quickly that how you've been defining yourself is maybe not actually about the place or the who. It's about mm-hmm. you. Amen. Amen to you. So when did you know that you were in a position to actually think about moving on to another agency? Because I don't think this was an easy one for you. No, it was not an easy one for me. Um, I'd probably say about a year ago, I felt like I had sort of maybe like stagnating or sort of plateaued 
but I think when you're, when you've done something for so long and had a degree of success and had people around you who supported you, it's sort of hard to see that there's a way out. And it's sort of hard to envision that, you know, other people might be interested because I, you know, I would had some success, but I didn't have any massive clients who I could go to another agency and be like, here's me and all my roster of clients that are making millions of dollars, right? Like we work on commission. It's like, I have to financially justify my existence within the framework of the company or else I don't have a job. That was part of it too. Cause I was like, well, no one's going to want to pay me to bring like my roster, which was a really good roster, but like not, there weren't any like million dollar clients on there. I really started thinking to myself, like, this isn't working. Like there's something not working for me here. And I couldn't really pinpoint it. I felt like I was watching other agencies make really big signings and have deep relationships with like major management companies and record like U.S. management companies and like U.S. labels. And I felt like I was like trying to figure out how to do that on my own. Without Um, everyone buying in maybe. Totally. And there was, and there were other things that I wanted to do. Like I love music. Obviously it's my first love, but like, man, I have a drag client who I love booking. Mention names, by the way. Oh, Tainomi Banks. Yes. <laughs> yes. I want to talk about some of your other clients too. So yeah, bring yeah, up. Yeah, totally. So, so Tainomi, um, I signed, I signed, Tainomi was the first Canadian drag queen to ever sign with a major, uh, at that time, international talent agency. Cause we were APA and, this was something I had wanted to do for so long because I knew that as RuPaul, as Drag Race was coming along and the queens were becoming more mainstream, the more I learned about the shows, I was like, oh, I can I can step in here with my expertise and help like make this better for them and, yeah. and represent these queens who are true artists in the in every shape of the imagination and and really like like help them have like real touring careers, like whatever it is they want to do. Um and I didn't get a lot of support for that. <laughs> um, I figured that would be tough. Yeah. 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 With the, it, 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 like they saw what I, my bosses saw what I was doing and they respected the money it was bringing in, but it was just like, I wasn't getting any buy-in. So I was like on an Island booking drag shows <laughs> and it was, it was great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, but like booking Tainomi has been so much fun and the war, like the doors that those, that that's opened and the world that it's opened me up to has been so much fun. But I was like, oh my God. And then I found out that the Feldman agency signed Canada's Drag Race for like live touring. And I was like, that's me. Like, that's what I should be the person doing this. I know this world. I'm in it better than any other agent in Canada. And I was like, I'm your girl, please. I'm your girl. And, you know, so there was like little things. And I saw, I saw the Feldman agency, like, you know, signing like Allison Russell, who I'm just, and Shania Twain. I'm like, what the hell? I just had Allison Russell on this podcast. I don't know if you saw that. Oh my God, you did? Yes. You'll have to go back and listen. I'm obsessed. I am obsessed. (laughs) Her skin glows. She (laughs) recorded this interview with me walking through Times Square in New York because the hotel she was staying at had construction. So she was like, I didn't want to like ditch on, on this. Like, of course I always make time. She says she always makes time for me because I was like first early supporter of her music, blah, 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 which is so kind of her, but she's one of the busiest women in showbiz. And she did that interview, even if she had to walk through Times Square doing it. See, this is like, goes back to what we were talking about, like treating people with respect. Right. And honoring your commitments. Like, so seeing, seeing the Feldman agency make all these signings. and, And I was just like, man, like that's, that's my team. That's my team. So it took some like pulling up of the bootstraps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
but I made the call. I made the call to, to Tom Kemp and I was like, Hey, like I haven't been on an employment contract for almost a year now. Um, was that on purpose? Um, I mean, basically like our employment contracts expired okay. in August with APA and they just weren't renewing them because it's pandemic, whatever, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. but it was fine. So I just called Tom who I've known for since as long as I've been doing this and outside of the agents that I was working with directly, Tom is probably the person like the agent in this country who has treated me with the utmost respect and kindness through my career. But I was still nervous to call him because I was like, I'm doing this. Like, as soon as you make that call, there's no unmaking that call. Right. And I was like, Hey man, like I'm open for business. You want to talk? And he was like, how soon can we have a meeting? And I was like, Oh, okay. So we had a meeting and sat there for three hours. We barely touched our food. And eventually he was like, I got to go put my kids to bed. Like I got to go. And I was like, I got to go feed my cats." in our conversation. Like the vision that he had for the company itself, but also for like me coming into the company with the skill set that I have and the respect and the, and the, the reputation that I have, he's like, I can just plop you into teams with major acts and major management companies. And he's like, let you run with it because I know you know what you're doing. You've been doing this for a long time. And he's like, you are going to be an asset at this company. And I was just like, whoa, like, you know what I mean? So very validating because I don't know if you would have noticed this, but like you did say to me at one point, I'm going to come on your podcast. It's just been a weird year. I, <laughs> I was wrapping my head around how I even felt about my own things. And it feels like even when you're telling the story, like there's an element of you being like shy and timid about this. And that is not you. That's just not you. Yeah. So where does that come from? It was more of like questioning my questioning my value and not yes. really, and, and just looking at it at a, like looking at my value based on a dollar sign. Right. And when it, when it occurred to me that I'm just like, I'm so much more than the money that I bring to the table, just because I haven't had the opportunity to work with, you know, like big artists, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like I can do this. I'm really good at this. And in the last year or so I've had like an incredible amount of success with Ace and Abby holy like no let's go let's talk about Ace and Abby being able to work with an artist like that who really like has exploded and being able to be there right from the start that also gave me the um I don't like I don't know if courage is the right the right word but it gave me that last little piece of like belief in myself to know that okay like I have value outside of the money that I can bring to a job I'm really good at this. And I always knew that I was good at it, but it's like, I just needed to have that one little piece of the puzzle that fit right in there to go, okay, like I'm better than the situation that I'm in right now. And I need to find a way out. Like, I'm sure you've gone through some big life changes. It's like, there's like a point where the ball is just rolling down the hill and you're not stopping it. Right. And every meeting I had, every phone call I had with Tom, it was like, okay, the ball's getting closer to the edge of the hill. And then eventually I got a job offer and I said, yes. And I was like, shit, now I got to quit my other job. <laughs> yeah. That's when the ball really got pushed off the side of the cliff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the proper word would have been insecurity. And then the follow-up yes. word would have been validation, I think as well. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I think, I think everyone has insecurities that they deal with in any way, shape or form. I deal with my insecurities by like repressing them as much as I can and pretending they don't exist. Um, but they're still there. And it also came from a place of like complacency on a certain level. 
because it was like, oh, I'm good. Like I'm getting a paycheck. I'm doing what I love, like blah, 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 blah. But when you start looking around you, like sort of taking the blinders off and looking around and seeing what everyone else is doing. And I, it's so funny because I always tell my clients, like, don't go looking over everyone's fences to what everyone else is doing. Focus on you, focus on you. And I was like applying that to me. Like, don't look at what the other people are doing. Focus on you. And then I was like, no, fuck that shit. (laughs) I'm like, I started peeking over the fences and I was like, I want to be in that backyard. (laughs) It's hard to ask yourself questions about how happy you may or may not be when you were probably feeling really comfortable where you were. And that's what makes it hard to think about making a jump. And honestly, before I quit SiriusXM, all those same things were going through my mind. Like I, yeah, I hear a lot of myself and what you were saying. It wasn't for another job opportunity. It was just feeling like I could find a way to do something I love better than the way we were doing it. Absolutely. And also like the relationships, like I had been with these people for 15 fucking years. Jeez. Yeah. 15 years is a long time and like 15 formative years, right? Like I learned everything that I could from these people. And it was like, there's deep relationships and you're, you go beyond like coworker relationships, your friends, you're like looking after people's kids and their dogs and like depths of relationship that was really hard to like break through, but I had to do it. I knew I had to do it for me. How did it go when you quit? Oh my God. um it was oh wow it's still kind of fresh it's only been two months um it was terrifying but it was just like well you got to do this now or never and I just like I walked into my boss's office and I was like accepted a job at Feldman (laughs) you just spit it out like, like literally no because again going back to the advice that Jack has given me so much advice over the years. I was in a, I was in a bit of a bad situation with someone at one point, like an ex-boyfriend. And I, I went into Jack's office and he's like, you know, when you need to give someone bad news, he's like, you just say it. You, there's no buildup. There's no like, Oh, I think I need to talk to you about something. He's like, no, you sit down and you give them the bad news right away. And I was like, okay. Bad <laughs> so news coming I went way. into his office and I sat down and I gave him the bad news. Yeah, totally. And it was, it was emotional. Like I was a hysterical crying mess. I just did it. That's because you valued the time there. Totally. No, I valued the time. I valued the people. I valued everything. I valued the 15 years of my life that I had with these people. Like that's, you know, like we had been through, especially this group of people because of the different incarnations of the companies, like, God, we'd been through hell and back with each other. Right. And that's not the kind of shit you just let go of easily, but bawled my eyes out. And then I had to write an email to head office in LA and just be like, I'm going. And then, and still like, I didn't know what to do. (laughs) And then like 45 minutes, I'm like sitting at my desk, like answering emails. (laughs) You're like, are they going to walk me out? What happens? (laughs) No. And then, and then sure enough, our our office manager, God bless her, uh, came into my office after I sent the email. She's like, so I just got a call from head office and they told me I have to escort you out. So please gather your personal belongings. (laughs) And I was like, okay. You knew it was coming at this point, but. I knew it was coming. I grabbed like my pictures and like something else. And I had my laptop with me because I was like, I knew that I was literally leaving one job to walk into the next because the, what I needed for my client, like I, I, because I've done this a couple of times, it's like, and when you work in the client service industry, it's like, I needed my clients to know that everything was fine. And that, yes, I'm dropping this big nuclear bomb into 
our lives, but it's going to be fine. And I'm going to look after you. So I literally walked out of the APA offices in a daze. It was raining. I was like way overdressed because I thought I was going to be cold. Walked around the Eaton Center for an hour and a half, <laughs> sweating with my big heavy backpack on the phone with my mom being like, what did I just do? I texted Tom when I did it and he was like, oh my God, you're such a badass. And then I was like, okay, I'm coming up eventually. So <laughs> I walked up to the Feldman offices and I was like, in a like I was like deer in headlights obviously I was like hi everybody and like Tom like walked me around the office and I'm like hi <laughs> and he's like here's your desk and I'm like okay like just and then I went out for lunch with some of my coworkers, and it was just like it's the emotions were so high and it they were high for a while and then the press release went out and my phone blew up and it blew up in a really nice way like all of the every single text I got was like, good for you. Like, congratulations. This is the right move for you. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like people that I've known for decades, just out of nowhere, like, yes, you go girl, like go get that bag. And people I hadn't, I, people I hadn't heard from, like when you make a big life and I'm sure you experience this as well. It's like people come out of the woodwork. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like people come out of the woodwork and the best possible way. And I never, I did not have a single like negative reaction Everyone was so supportive, but at a certain point, you just need to believe in yourself and what you're doing and the moves that you're making and just trust that it's all going to be fine. When I walked into Jack's office to be like, I'm quitting, I was in the back of my mind. I'm like, you're going to be fine. doesn't matter what happens. You're going to be fine. Like, I'm glad that you told that story because I I was like, oh, she might not want to talk about this, but what you just went through, so many people will go through in their professional lives, right? It's your own self-worth. And you yeah. got to bring many of your clients with you. I did. Yeah. yeah. So talk about some of those clients and those special relationships and, and what's happening this summer, maybe. Then I want to hear the Beck story in closing. Okay, cool. Um, oh my God. It's like uh, talking about all my children at once. Um, so obviously we talked about Ace and Abby. That's been a very special relationship for me. He's having such a moment. And it was funny because I the night before I did this, I called all the clients that I wanted to have come with me. And I was like, hey, I'm doing this. Do you want to come with me? And like every single one of them thought that they were like, oh my God, yes. Like, <laughs> you know, like perfect. Every, and, and, and Ace and Abby even said to me, he was like, are we having our Jerry Maguire moment? And I was like, I'm having our Jerry Maguire moment. He's like, I'm so excited. Um, but so that was great. You know, Isque um, is someone I've been working with for, oh my God, like six, seven years. She's been through a bunch of this with me already. Um, love, like she's been such a huge part of my career as an agent, um, and the successes that we've had together. Um, Digging Roots is a band that I signed during the pandemic who I'm obsessed with. And, you know, I got to bring them along with me as well. Um, Shawnee Kish, uh, who is I literally I'm getting text messages from her manager as we're going through this because she has a new song coming out tonight at midnight. <laughs> yeah. I can like see them on my screen. Um, yeah. You know, Housewife, who's a great young Toronto band, indie rock band, Sky Wallace, who um, I just like, I signed Sky a few years ago, but Sky and I became super close during the pandemic. Like, I think as an agent, like, I just wanted to make sure my clients were okay. So I spent a lot of time just calling my clients and like checking them. Yeah. And I'm sure you became something other than an agent during that time because everyone needed something. 
Listen, if this agent thing doesn't ever work out, I'm going to be a therapist. Like, <laughs> let's go. I probably make way more money. Um, and Sky, you know, like we were both of us going through like this existential crisis with all of this, all the, you know, the Black Lives Matter and all this stuff that was happening during the pandemic. And we really leaned on each other so much and just developed this really incredibly special relationship. Like knowing that people like, ooh. Aww. <laughs> It's a superpower. Remember, it's not something to be embarrassed about. Knowing that people believe in you so much that they're willing to just go on this crazy fucking adventure with you is, um, it was, yeah, ooh, I wasn't expecting to get emotional. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, so yeah. And Jamie Fine, who, um, I signed Jamie during like right before the pandemic. And of course, Never, I, the one, the first show I booked for her where I could go see her at the Drake Hotel, I got COVID, so I couldn't even go. Oh no. So I, I know my, my first time seeing her live as a client was this past weekend in Mississauga for Canada Day. Sebastian Gaskins also like a, a, who I signed like right before the pandemic. I was like, I know I just signed you a month ago, but I'm about to blow up my life and want to come for the, come along for the ride. And he was like, yep. And drives the common man who's a great young artist from London and Mobley, who's an American act that I'm really excited about. Uh, and last but not least, I, I talked about Shawnee Kish and her wife, Jen, is also a client. Um, Jen is a uh, she's a former Olympian and um, uh, she's a TV personality, speaker, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, and it was so funny because. <laughs> so I called Jen and Shawnee are obviously married. I called them both to be like, this is what I'm doing. And Shawnee started screaming. She's like, oh my God, this is, yes. And Jen was like, I don't understand what's going on. Because <laughs> she doesn't really have a lot of context for music. She doesn't really know like what who what Feldman was. And <laughs> Shawnee's like, it's fine. Just, it's good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. <laughs> and Jen's like, I don't know what's going on, but yes, okay, we're in. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Those are all the clients I brought with me. <laughs> well, it sounds like everything worked out just fine and yeah like you know just seeing you around I I feel like without knowing you very well at all I just basically see you at shows right all the time and industry events panels things like that but you seem lighter you seem happier and I think it's because you like stepped out of your comfort zone to like you know rip this band-aid off and look everything's fine like you said everything's fine I I was I was raised yeah I was raised with I don't know if it's because I was hugged a lot as a child or something, but like, I've just always known that everything is going to be fine. Like, yeah. and going, making this big move, it was very much a like, it's going to be fine because <laughs> it has to be fine. There's no other way. Yeah. There is no other acceptable outcome other than this is going to be great. <laughs> so I always end this podcast by asking you to nominate some women you would love to hear speak on this podcast. Oh my goodness. So we'll give, um, we'll give you a minute to think about that if you want, and you can tell the backstory first. Okay. So the backstory, I will try to condense this, but keep all the fun details. So um, we were, so the Drake hotel, we were having our staff party our, cause, cause you can't, you can never have a Christmas party during Christmas because it's too busy. So our staff parties were always like in the spring when things calm down. So I remember we were all at the Amsterdam brewery and we're all partying, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I get a call from Jason Grant, who is a promoter at Live Nation. And he's like, Steph, he's like, what do you have going on in the underground tonight? And it was a Monday night. So we had Elvis Monday. So it was open mic night. And I was like, yeah, like it's, you know, just like some open mic night bands, like that, you know, whatever, no big deal. 
And he's like, okay. He's like, I have a big client in town who's playing a big show and he is very unhappy with how things are going. And he wouldn't really elaborate more than that, but he's like, you know, this artist wants to go do like a club show and just like feel like he's, you know, like put on a really good show. And I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, so, you know, I might need you to like pull together like full backline on really short notice. And I was like, okay, like I can do that. I already have backline at the hotel, like whatever. So he's like, okay, give me a minute. I need to figure this out. And I'm just like, okay, but who's the artist? And he's like, honestly, stuff I can't say. And like in my head, I'm just like running through like who's in town. And then I was like, wait a minute, Jason. I'm like, does it start with a B and end in act? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, okay, but like nothing's happening yet. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so this would have been the sea change tour. And he was playing Coca-Cola Coliseum. And I don't know what happened, but there was just, he was nothing. He wasn't happy about the show. So I get a call back from Jason about an hour later. And he's like, okay, he's like, it's down to two venues. It's between you and the Rivoli. Um, so I'm going to send you a backline list and I need you to complete this as much as you can. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. He's like, so he's like, I'm, but if I call you, that means we're doing this on like 20 minutes notice. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay, cool. So I got the email and I, there were two people at the party who I told what was happening. Cause I was just like, this can't get out. I told my best friend, Sarah, who did not work at the Drake, but came to all the parties with me. <laughs> and I told the bar manager, Brad, and I was like, if you guys get a text message from me, I need you to get everyone in this room in taxis within five minutes and get everyone back to the Drake because I've got something cooking. And they're like, okay. So I go to the Drake and for like, for whatever reason, the stars had aligned. Our head technician was training like four new techs. Oh my that God. Night. We had five sound engineers in the house that night. So I go to them and I'm just like, guys, here's the backline list. I need you to get all of this together right now and come back. And this was before there was Wi-Fi in the freaking Drake. So I had to go sit up in the freaking lobby waiting for a call. And then sure enough, I get a call from, it was Denise now, Jason, Denise Ross, who is like a dear friend of mine. She's like, okay, Beck's on his way. Let's, we're doing this. See you in 20 minutes. And I'm just like, oh my God. So I, I sent a text message to the two people at the party. I had my boyfriend at the time who was with me. I had delegated him as artist liaison. There was maybe 10 people in the room. And that included the people who were playing in the bands at Elvis Monday. By the time Beck showed, and this was before Facebook, before, I mean, it was like maybe like MySpace, before actual like social media. Somehow we managed to get 200 people in that room in about a half an hour. Oh my God. And by the time Beck and he was, him and his band were escorted down to the stage on the side door and he like, they just started playing and people lost their ever loving minds. And I was running shots up and down to the stage. I got his band so drunk, like he doesn't drink, but his band sure does. I got them wasted. Like it was the best night of my life. And everyone was like, you booked back. And I was like, I booked back. Just that sense of like, yeah, of completion even. <laughs> oh my God. And just knowing that like I pulled, we'd all pulled this together and it was like, like I said before, you know, you could have put it on Instagram and had people there in five seconds, but we didn't have that. Right. Yeah. It was like, I sent some text messages around and people just heard about it and people got there. Bananas. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So last but not least, you're going to nomination some, process, nominate some women that you would love to hear speak about their journeys in, in media. I would, um, Denise Ross, who I just talked about, 
it, I, I don't know. She's has she been on? No, that that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Oh my god, yeah, like one of the best friggin' promoters in the country. Yes, that would be great. Um, I love her so much. Um, who else? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, like like Lori Lee Boutte, who manages the beaches. Don't know her. Oh my god, she'd be. Oh my god, she'd be fantastic. Lori okay. Lee would be great. Um, has Joelle from Amazon been on? Yes. Like Kat from TikTok? Kat from TikTok has not been on. Kat would be great. Uh, Kat's the best. I love her. Um, oh my God, who else? Tara from Apple Music? Yeah, there's a whole... <laughs> there we go. I, know, like, I mean, I'm just... Now I'm just like all the people I love the most. Um, I also, if you want to talk to another agent, there's a young woman I work with named Kathleen. Kathleen Reed, who is... She's actually Allison Russell's agent. And I love her. She's actually one of the big reasons why I went there. Just meeting her and, and to Feldman and, and getting to know her story and what she's doing. She's fantastic. This is a great list. But Lori Lee, if you need an intro, I can intro you. She's incredible. Awesome. And what she's done with the beaches is amazing. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you for all the stories. I got stories to tell. And thank you. It was, uh, this was a lot of fun. I don't. I feel like you thought it would be stressful. And now you're like, oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. Remember, we're going to be fine. So yeah, love you. Thank you for asking me to do this. So listen, it is time for a little summer break. I've got so many podcasts I'm producing. I can't even keep up with my own. There are many episodes in the can that you can just scroll right up to and revisit anytime, just to name a few recent ones. Uh, we talked about the Allison Russell episode today, Steph and I. That one is fantastic. She is hella inspiring. Debbie Travis, one of my new clients, the Trust Me, I'm a Decorator podcast just launched. Check that out too. Um, it's been a pretty wild ride with Jan Arden. I had her on my podcast in, I think it was January 2022. And here I am now co-hosting and producing her podcast. We were talking about this this week because I was at her place in Alberta after her charity golf tournament in support of Enviros. We were talking about how funny it would be to revisit that conversation and listen to our chemistry then versus now because, I mean, I think I've had almost 50 episodes with Jan with iHeartRadio now. So anyway, some stuff to go back and revisit. If you're into that, I hope you're having a great summer. I hope you take a little break. And I will be back in September after a little trip to Greece with more fabulous women in media. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's this luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.